We've been talking about inversions here at Yordala University for what are today pretty obvious reasons. Now, going all the way back to the first one, Eurodollar Futures in December of last year, they've become more and more and more noticeable as well as more and more important about what they're saying in terms of the economy and the markets, potential for the markets. But really, that wasn't the first one. Eurodollar Futures December of 2021 was preceded by an inversion of sorts far earlier in the same year. You got to go all the way back to early January 2021 for the very first inversion of sorts in the marketplace. And that one was TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. January of 2021, just as the supply shock got going. What we saw was inflation break-evens at the short end of the curve as much as there is a break-even curve, which should be upward sloping like everything else, suddenly short-run break-evens got to be higher than their longer-run counterparts. Now, what that simply, what that meant simply was that in the marketplace where the government pays you protection based on the CPI, the market was perceiving there would be more protection paid in the short-run versus the long-run. There would be more of a CPI effect in the shorter end of the yield curve. So for the two-year or five-year break-even, those were front-loaded with consumer price index expectations. Whereas down the road, further out, say five, and then to the 10-year treasury break-even, investors were expecting to get paid substantially less in terms of CPI compensation. So from the very beginning, January of 2021, even before the consumer price indexes actually began to accelerate, the market had all the time figured out it wasn't inflation. It wasn't going to stick around for the long run. In fact, given the conditions that were that were ongoing at that time and would only get worse as time went on, it became very clear what was going what was the what was behind all of the major mess in the economy, furthermore, how that would play out. And so in this case, the tips inversion that goes way back two years, two years from, I believe, yesterday, two years of inversion in tips, which told you all along, this was not inflation. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean going forward? That's what we're going to talk about today. But first, I'm, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodal University, of course. Thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate it as always. If you're interested, we have Eurodollar University memberships where we get exclusive videos. I just put up part four of our What Are We Missing series, which kind of gets into the same stuff we're going to talk about today. It's four parts of a five-part series. Part five will be all about the gross consequences, severe consequences of what we have been missing for a very, very long time. There's also research subscriptions. Uh, there's a sale at Markets Insider Pro where you get a research bundle, my daily briefing along with Stephen Van Meter and Tracy Shukart, as well as our deep dive analysis at Eurodollar University, various ways to save and pair those with memberships and things like that. All the information available, eurodollar.university. Before we get into cracking the code of inflation, if you will, or what these inversions, tips, or otherwise have been telling us, we get some more data today from 
Federal Reserve Branch in New York. FRBNY's surveys of consumers, which includes a pretty substantial survey of consumer inflation expectations or just consumer price expectations, because that's what this really, really boils down to is that everybody has been led to believe that every single time consumer prices go up, it must be because of inflation. So if consumer prices go up a lot, there must be a lot of inflation, money printing in the sort, everything else like that. Because as Milton Friedman showed, he wasn't just hinting, he wasn't just suggesting. After an exhaustive examination of monetary history here and elsewhere, inflation, inflation, inflation is a monetary phenomenon. So we think consumer prices must be always that monetary phenomenon. So most people start backwards. If consumer prices went way up, then there must have been a lot of money printing. But historically, that's not the only way in which consumer prices go up. Consumer prices do rise for other reasons, especially when there is a supply impediment. Simple economics. If demand goes up more than supply does, the only way to adjust is prices because demand you're able to compete for a limited amount of supply. But where it becomes inflation, as we'll see in a minute, is when money is introduced in that equation. So you could have a supply shock turn into inflation, which is sort of what the Federal Reserve is deathly afraid of, or at least what they claim to be deathly afraid of in terms of expectations. But as our tips inversion showed, that was never a likely case either. Never, from the very beginning. And now we're seeing it in FRBNY's data. Surveys of consumers for the month of December. The median one year was down to 4.99%, so just under 5%, the lowest in quite some time. We see the 25th percentile, which is the bottom end of the range, is down to 1.79% from 2% in November. And then the very high end of the range, those who believe that consumer prices are going to be up for a long time, the 75th percentile falling to 8% from 9%. In November, so sub sub substantial drop in consumer price expectations just one year ahead, and we continue to move in that same direction down, down, down. Like in the tips market, we've also seen in FRBNY as well as other consumer surveys that longer term consumer price ex expectations have never been as high as those in the short run. For the FRBNY's very uh, their data. The three-year median was 2.99%, which was basically unchanged from November. The 25th percentile, the lower end of that range, three years ahead, zero. And it has been mildly negative over the previous couple months. So there is quite a few people who are thinking out three years ahead that consumer prices might be, in general, zero or maybe even a little bit negative. Uh, even, the, even the 75th percentile, down to 6%. So those who still believe in secular inflation and all that, they're coming down to. And even the FRBNY's five-year median, though it ticked up to 2.4, that's because of sort of a change in the dispersion. But even there, the 25th percentile dropped to minus 0.43. So consumers on the whole, like the markets have said, this is not inflation. This is not sustained inflation. Even if people don't know why or what the difference actually is, what they've perceived of their own economic experience is one consistent where consumer prices cannot continue to go up for a prolonged period of time. So if inflation is a monetary phenomenon, you can't have that inflation 
actually happen and continue without money going up. So what is the difference between inflation and the supply shock? What is it that we're actually missing in this case? If we think of the economy in a very simple example, very, very simple example, on the one side we have consumers. Consumers, of course, spend their money on goods and services that are provided by businesses. And businesses are, they need, hire, they need to hire employees in order to manufacture those goods and deliver those services. So businesses become employers who pay their employees in exchange for labor. In our very simple model, it all works in equilibrium. Prices don't need to adjust because the amount of money going from consumers to businesses and back to consumers again is exactly the same. Of course, any real world example, any real world economy, that wouldn't ever be the case. Consumers don't spend all their money on goods and services, their savings. Businesses likewise don't spend all of their revenue on just employees. They also have profits. They also have payments to other businesses in the forms of other inputs. So it gets a lot more complicated in any real world example. But if the amount of money that goes from one side to the other and back again is relatively even, prices again wouldn't need to adjust. But if we go to the 2020 example, which was very, very different, what happened was, and on the one side, the supply shock of, on the business sector meant that businesses were constrained in their ability to manufacture goods, in their ability to deliver services. So as consumers spent and as consumer spending rebounded from the depths of the COVID recession, they found that they had to compete for a limited number of goods and services, which meant in a lot of cases, Uncle Sam was required. The government stepped in with stipends, with giveaways, with grants, not just, again, we're, we're oversimplifying here where consumers were given aid as well as the business sector, but we're assuming that most of the aid went to consumers. And furthermore though, the business side was constrained in a very is concentrated in especially a few sectors like crude oil production or the ability to ship goods from overseas and deliver them through what became snarled supply chains. Now in that situation, oil providers could charge more as could shippers because of the imbalance between demand and supply. But what that meant in a macroeconomic situation was that a good chunk of the money that should have been flowing back to employer as employers to employees instead went to industries where employment wasn't the main focus of all that revenue. In other words, oil companies weren't out there hiring hundreds of thousands of people and shipping companies weren't out there hiring millions of additional workers to close the loop. Instead, it was as if a windfall was given was handed out to these particular industries, which meant that we had a shortfall of circulation of money going back to employees, which we see in any number of economic data accounts like labor data, wage data, income data. But as long as Uncle Sam continued to provide essentially the same amounts of goods and services, then the supply shock could continue because there was these stipends, especially to consumers, that allowed these consumers to pay the excess demanded by the shortfall in supply. So we continue to have this 
at least temporarily, the circulation where instead of closing the loop where businesses were rehiring workers because of the broad recovery and rebound in demand after recession, we instead had this supply shock which redistributed a whole bunch back to these other industries in an unproductive fashion. A shortfall in actual labor demand also in the form of money redistribution. And if Uncle Sam wasn't involved as we move from 2021 into 2022, where the effects of the stipends and stimulus faded further and further, what would have made it inflation was if the banking sector stepped in. Banks that would have created additional forms of credit for consumers or employees, more employers more likely, then that would have made up the difference as Uncle Sam faded into the background of history. Consumer credit, or more really business credit, to make up for this same redistributionary shortfall. So as consumers spent with additional support from credit creation, they could pay the higher prices to those unproductive industries at the same rate, buying the same amount of goods and services from the business sector who could then borrow money from the banking sector to pay off the additional employees that they're being hired for the nominal opportunities that businesses are perceiving. All the while, our oil and shipment companies are still experiencing the windfall that is essentially being paid by this introduction of additional credit. And it can continue so long as the banking system is willing to create that credit because in the modern system, credit is money. There is no difference there. So banks can continue to add credit, close the loop of circulation, which leads to inflation because businesses, consumers, everybody can afford to pay the higher and higher prices and can continue to pay those high prices because of the additional money through the banking system. And around and around it goes in 1970s style inflation. But as we know, that's not what happened. As Uncle Sam stepped away, there weren't additional sources of new credit creation or dollar creation because the banking system by and large, again, in a simple example, we're assuming there was no credit growth. There was a minor amount, but there was by and large, no introduction of credit shortfall of employment that we see in the employment statistics, which means that eventually consumers have to depend upon their shrunken income, especially in real terms compared to price increases over the last couple of years, which meant at some point their ability to spend on regular goods and service while still paying the higher prices for things like oil and shipping would be impaired. And that would be leave less income and money flowing through the regular business channels of the economy, which, which eventually means that businesses aren't able to hire the same number of employees. So at some point, this was always going to be transitory because without the additional credit creation from the banking system, consumers would exhaust whatever additional forms of monetary capacity they had been given, and it would lead to fewer and fewer and fewer revenue opportunities for both businesses as well as all of those industries 
which had benefited from this supply shock imbalance. So the difference between the supply shock and actual or genuine inflation is the credit cycle creation led by the banking system. That is the entire inflation matter in a nutshell. It's not about the government. It's about the circulation of new credit to replace old money going to, in the supply shock example, unproductive industries that are not hiring new workers in the amount that we would need them to to maintain the same level of prices and circulation through the economy. Especially in the 2020 case where we have foreign focused purchases of goods produced overseas, which meant even fewer Americans were being hired for the amount of money being spent on goods and services, which would have meant, or which actually did mean, a higher need for additional credit to maintain that circulation throughout the supply shock era. And that just did not happen. So quite simply, without the credit creation to fill in the economic gap of all that harmful redistribution, what eventually happens is demand destruction. Too much gets diverted into those unproductive economic sectors, leaving the especially labor market short of where it needs to be to continue circulating money at the regular rate throughout the economy. Regulate sort of a term of art too, regular rate. But in the end, what you end up with is that same demand destruction that is not filled in by money and credit creation. And when it's not filled in by money and credit creation, eventually, as we just show, as I just showed you, everybody has to scale back, starting with the labor market, which shows which you know exactly what we see coming out in the data more and more as time goes on. So all of those curves, going back to the very first inversion in tips way, way back in January 2021, were the market's pricing probabilities where what we're seeing today was the likely case this entire time. That's why inversion starting in December of 2021 with Eurodollar futures, which regardless of the level of rate hikes, this is not about rate hikes. These inversions predate rate hikes by a long period of time, especially the aggressive ones, even in the treasury market. Markets were betting that this supply shock, lack of credit growth, lack of money growth would end in exactly the way it appears to be ending as 2023 begins. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, a huge, huge, sincere thank you to Eurodollar University members, as well as all of our research subscribers. If you want to know what they're getting, check it out at eurodollar.university. And until next time, Take care.